welcome to the Casey City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. How are you all this morning? Wonderful. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. As we like saying it here, one day in the house of the Lord is? Okay, one more time so the folks out there can also hear us. How about you joining us? And saying it together with us, one day in the house of the Lord. Amen, amen. Amen. See, I'm changed now. I haven't said a thousand days. What? What is it now? I can't even. I'm, I myself am confused. Uh, praise God. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the manner in which you guide us, you lead us, and that you're present here in our midst. Today, we want to continue to glorify you, honor you, and and declare you as just the king in this place, the king of our hearts, the king of our minds, the lover of our soul. The one who chases after us. Your goodness leads us to repentance. Your kindness and your mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. For you are our shepherd. You don't leave us astray. We're not orphans. The Lord your God in your midst is mighty. And he is mighty to save. So why worry? Amen? Amen. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> why worry? Easier said than done. I'm sure we'll all agree, agree to that, that it's so easy to say, yeah, why worry? Why worry? You know, be happy. You know, why worry, be happy in that sense. But uh, we live in a fallen world, but we have been redeemed. And that's the good news. We have been redeemed. So, so how, do we, how does that outplay in our own lives, you know, the fact that we have been redeemed and that we are redeemed people. We carry an important, we, we carry a fire, we carry a message that is crucial for people out there to come to know. You know, they're, they're, they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for the real deal, right? Coca-Cola ain't the real deal, amen, right? Jesus is definitely the real deal, right? He is real. And they can only witness the reality as they witness it in you and I. You and I are that display. So he displays us. You know, like fireworks, he displays us, you know, where everyone can begin to see. So you feel you're going through uh, challenges and issues. Praise God. Say, God is displaying me right now so that everyone will see how I am handling this. So everyone will see how the promise of God is going to come right into my midst because there comes an opportunity now in the time of testing for you and I to count it all joy. Right, so it's an it's actually an op, it's actually an opportune time for us, amen. We live. We need to be opportunists. Yeah. 
Amen? Really, we need to be opportunists. So, you know, it feels, it, it, it really feels good to be able to come up here and to be able to meet, you know, week after week with, with our family. Hallelujah. And this is our family. There are, there, there are a few who have uh, probably joining us online or who are elsewhere and who have got other um, commitments probably or, or maybe actually really unwell. So if you know of them, please contact them. Please visit them. Please call them. Please extend what the Lord is already releasing and what you're already carrying. Release it to them. Amen? And definitely some are away on a break as well, so we just want to thank and bless them in the name of Jesus. Now, what I want to do this, uh, this week is I want to f- finish up, and if time permits, I'll go to the next church, the Church of Pergamum. And the Church of Pergamum is, uh, is uh, uh, I'll, I'll control it from, from over here, thank you. Not that I'm a control freak, okay, but just that um, it's, it's easy, easier for me with where I'm going. And the church of Pergamum is about the accommodating church. So next week, no, not next week, the next time I, I, I speak, I'm going to uh, touch on it if I don't get to do that today. But let's go, let's, let's finish up this aspect of the consumer church. I'm, I'm not going to go over all of what uh, I shared last week, except that it, I think it'll be good for us to read this passage of, uh, this, this passage of s- Scripture. Oh, it ain't moving. Oh, yes, there you go. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Why don't you read it together with me? This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead and is now alive. Right? I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. So can you imagine you're part of a relationship? You're part of a following. You're part, you and I are part of following a God who says, you're going to be put in prison. You're going to suffer. It's, it's, not a, it's not a God that is saying everything's going to be fine and dandy, but he's saying that you are going to, right? He's already preparing the church. He is declaring that to us and saying that that's what's going to be happening, right? You and I are going to be experiencing that. So think of that. Now frame your mindset with that in mind. And when you and I now come into when you accepted the Lord, did anyone tell you this? Hey, you know, if you accept the Lord, I want to tell you this. The good news is, is you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. Do you want to now be born again? Do you want to give Jesus your life? Do you want to follow him? And you pause because you're thinking. Just to, just to make it clear, you're going to suffer like crazy. You might be slapped. 
You know, the, 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 there, was, there was a time when I had accepted the Lord, and I don't know how many months later or whatever, um, we were speaking to someone who was a little bit tipsy, and he was fairly antagonistic as well. He came from the same religious background that I came from. And they were mad that we left and became born again. So anyway, when uh, this person found out that we were sharing with his son, the first thing that came our way, so two of us were standing, and because I was quick to move, the person beside me was hit in his jaw. Uh, he was punched. And, and so I, I, I had to tell the person, I said, don't, don't, don't retaliate, don't retaliate, just, just hold off. And even at that point in time, I was thinking, man, I'm born again, what is, why am I getting punched for following Jesus? You know, you would think at that point in time. And, uh, you know, all of that comes to mind that when you accept the Lord, don't you accept the Lord into a place where he says he will care for you, he will take care of you, he will, you know, give you what you want and uh, all the desires of your heart will be given to you and all of that. And then suddenly you experience this and you begin to now wonder, I think it would be better for me to not have been a follower of Christ then. So some of these people here were wondering the very same thing. They were going through this experience and Jesus comes to them and he says this, right? Don't be afraid what you're about, of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw you into the prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, meaning a short time. Not exactly 10 days, but for a short period of time. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. And you can listen to last week's message and begin to try and, 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 and get the background, the context of the crown of life, right? And then he says this, and anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the church. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. And that's, that's, the, that's the awesome truth, that we will not be harmed by the second death. Right, and and that needs to be something that is in the that is constantly in the forefront of our minds because at the end of the day, that's what's going to be helping us move from a consumer mindset, from where a church becomes where where the gospel becomes a commodity. You know, we commodify the gospel. We make it something that is appealing so that people will want to, to, to hey, l- l- let me say a few things. Just like, you know, when, when you, you, you try going to, <laughs> you go to a night market. You go to Malaysia to the night markets, right? And you walk on the streets. Or if you go to any Asian country, you walk on the streets. And they, they will come and they will try and sell, sell you all of, these, all of these products that are there. And you know they are imitation, but they will say, this is, this is the original imitation. <laughs> right? This is, no, not original. This is genuine imitation. This is the real deal. It looks exactly like the Louis Vuitton. You know, when you take this, you feel you're carrying the Louis Vuitton, you know, in that sense, right? And they will, the minute you walk past and you say, you know, give me for such and such an amount, they'll, they'll say, no, 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 no. And then you walk off and they say, okay, okay, come here, come here, come here, come here. And they will ask you to come back and they will kind of sell you and, and continue to do all of that. Now, 
Don't we do that with those who want to know the Lord? They come and then we, we say, uh, particular aspects, uh, no, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm ready. No, no, come on, come here, come here, let me. You know, and we do that again. And we try to then begin to be, become this, 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 this retailer. And, and we try and sell the gospel to appease that person that we are selling it to. Despite Paul saying, be all things to all men that you may win some. He didn't say water down. He said, come to the person's level. Understand the context of that individual. You know, you don't, you don't go to... Uh, I, I remember this on my f- very first mission trip that we went. We went to Thailand and we went up to the mountains. And, 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 and then, you know, here, so, you're so excited. You're going to preach the gospel. And so all you want to do is preach the gospel. And here, I've been told by the missionaries there... Take these things, help them build. And I think, what? Why do I need to help them build something? Why do I need to worry about repairing some of the things there? I want to go preach the gospel. I want to say, rise up and walk. I want to do all of this. I want to, I want to be like this, you know, like, like the, 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 the guy in the circus that says, okay, lion, you jump and crack the whip and everything happens, you know. <laughs> That's what I want to be because I believe in the power and the might of the gospel. So why do I want to go and carry timber and, or rice or do that? Right? That's, a, that's a whole mindset. But to contextualize means the good news is that bag of rice. The good news is that piece of timber. The good news is to repair the shed or the home of that person. And in that process... The goodness of God is being revealed. Not with necessarily you, go, you and I going and Not necessarily that. I love praying in tongues. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So it says here, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand. So this is a language of intimacy. The only way he can whisper to your ears is if you are close to him. Right? My wife can't whisper to me if I'm even at this distance. And even when she tries, I say, what? <laughs> and with that kind of face, what? <laughs> you know, so like as if you're irritated. Right? And so God is speaking to you and you're looking at him, what? <laughs> Suffer? You know, that, that, that sort of a thing. And so that, that it's this walk of irritation that you and I have with him when it needs to be a walk of love. You know, I'm going to ask my wife to come up afterwards and share something about the context of intimacy because I want to end with that. She shared something so profound yesterday when we were at this, uh, the worship movement, uh, you know, 24-hour of worship. Wow. 24 hours. How amazing. Right? And uh, just, yeah, so many of these things are going on at this point in time. But let's move on. And to the angel, who is the divine messenger, this is another version, this is, I believe it's uh, Amplified. Of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of the first and the last absolute deity 
Son of God, who died and came to life. I think I'm just going to breeze through this. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the key. He is the Son of God. He's not, not, he's not anything less. Will not be hurt by the second death, the lake of fire. How often would we, how often in the church would you hear about hell, about the lake of fire, about damnation? No, we don't want to say that because we don't want to lose anyone. We want you to come. We want to mollycoddle you. Oh, cutie pie, come on. You know, we love you. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. You're going through suffering. Come on, come on. Let me help you. Right? So, do you remember me saying this? The the church in this church, in this consumer church, what the consumer church does is this. We give a lot and expect very little. So in other words, we make commitment, this, this little, I, re, I remember listening, I, I believe it was Wayne Cadero in a, in a pastor's conference, he said this, 95% is still 5% short. Sorry, 95% commitment is still 5% short. But you know, we say, hey, even if you're committed, 80%, if you can give 80% of your time, that's good enough. Come on, ministry leaders, don't you tell that? of your time, don't worry. No. 100% of your time. And I don't mean, when I say this, let me clarify this. 100%, actually I shouldn't say 100% of your time, 100% of your commitment within the scope of the time that you have. Right? So if you only have an hour to give to the work of the Lord, in the church, because there's work of the Lord out there as well. But I'm talking about in the church. If you only have an hour, make that hour 100%. Commitment. Make that hour, that 100% commitment. So that when we add, say there are whatever number of people here, imagine if there are 100, each one giving an hour. We've got 100 hours in the week. Then us pastors don't need to work 80 hours a week. Praise God. Isn't that good? Amen? I don't know. High five. High five. Come on, high five. Hallelujah. Trouble, trouble fixing the hundred hours or trouble? Not enough meat to smoke. Not enough meat to smoke. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Don't worry. You come to my house today, I'll give you some meat. To... That I'm going to be smoking. Thank you, Jesus. Meat. Meat that I'm going to be smoking. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, these are, this is Izmir. If you go there, you will see this in today. Today's day and age, you will see this, right? This is modern-day Izmir. As I said, man, this is great. So this is the background, right? Now, the context when he says, I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich, be faithful until death, for I will give you the crown of life. What he simply means is this, I am actively present where you are in that suffering, so you don't need to be worried. You heard a word just now. I believe God is removing anxiety, anxiousness, anxiousness. Whatever the cause is, anxiousness is removing that. And, and, and the only way you and I can be free of anxiousness, as the word of the Lord says, pray. 
right? It says pray because prayer is a language of fellowship. Prayer is a language of intimacy. That's his currency, right? That is his currency. And, and that's the only way we know that he's actively present. And prayer, is, you and I know, it's not just talking, right? We've got listening prayer on a Monday where you just come and you stop and you wait. And you allow him to invade. You allow him to come. You know, your spiritual pores are open for him to come. That's what that is. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we touched on this, and I'll, I'll, I'll just go through this really quickly. The commodification of church. Right? The consumer church is concerned about this because why we feel that judge a church... When, when individuals come, you judge the church based on convenience, based on that 10.30. Yeah, 10.30, okay, it suits, because I can still walk in at 10.45 and just miss maybe one song. We can still do that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if, I, if I go at 10.10 or 10.15, they're probably going to pull me into the middle to pray. So let me talk out there. Because praying together with everyone is inconvenient. Right? But yet the word of the Lord says, I will go to the house of the Lord. I delight to be in the house of the Lord. And when I say, one day in the house of the Lord. So if you all believe that then, why stand out there? Why did, the, why did Kevin tell Malcolm, uh, oh, by the way, you know, this side is a little bit more heavy than that side. If you're stereo, then this side is louder than that. Oh, because, you know, that side is out there, you know, but they are going to be coming in so that you out there know that, hey, people are still there. Hey, as a church, you know, don't worry, there are more people coming in, so just stay on, you know, all of that. So, you know, we, we, you know this, is the, this is the thing that goes on. You know, so sometimes we, we do several things to, to, to create engagement. When all we really need is the Spirit of the Lord, that's all we need. That's all we need. That's all we want. Rest on us. You know, that, that, that's, that song, oh gosh, rest on us today. It's the first time I think we're singing it. But he says... Come down, spirit, when you move, you make my heart pound when you fill the room. It's like, it's like, man, the first time you take your, your girlfriend, who's probably now your spouse, you take your girlfriend and you feel, ooh, oh, my heart. Where did this heart come from? Suddenly it's pounding. I never realized it was there. And it says, you make my heart pound when you fill the room. You're here and I know you are moving. I'm here and I know you will fill me. Wow. Was your heart pounding apart from just beating blood just now? Was your heart pounding with excitement? You know, with excitement in the presence of God. Right? 
So this whole context of, of convenience, we, we go somewhere that, that will be more convenient to you. And believe me, this year, it ain't going to be convenient for us because you're going to hear, I think, messages from here that's not going to be convenient. That, that, it, and it doesn't mean that, that, that we are... I, I speak to myself on this because I'm... You know, it's, it's, it's God dealing with me as well. So this is not a message being spoken to you. This is a message being spoken to us. We are journeying together. It's not me and you. It's you and me moving together. It's not top down coming to you. It's us together coming to a place, journeying together, wrestling with this together. Because that's the kind of church he wants to come to. He wants to come to a bride. That is spotless and blemished. So how can a bride be about consumerism? It cannot be about consumerism. Can you imagine your, 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 if your wife is just all about, or your spouse is just all about what you can give and what you can give, what you can buy? The relationship cannot stay on for more than the seven-year itch. Amen. So there's this, this relationship that he's, there's this sense of commitment, the inconvenience, and he's speaking to them. It's only going to last for 10 days. So don't worry about it. The quality of ministry, we judge the church by the quality of ministry. The personality fit, oh, do I like this pastor? Oh, he cracks a little, few, few jokes, and so it makes me laugh. So I'll stay here. I, I, like, I, I like it. You know, the worship leader and, and the team. Uh, like, like, you know, you, we, we go and share with others. And we say, hey, you come to our church. Hey, we've got a band, you know. We've got, we got music. Like the other day, someone asked, asked me. So the guy that came to fix something at, at, at my place, and he, and he saw all the instruments there, and he said, oh, so what kind of music do you know? I said, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I work in a church. So he, he kind of looked like that and then looked at all the instruments. And then I said, oh, and I said, oh, we do, you know, kind of funk and pop and soul and rock and, and, and all of that. You know, we have all those kinds of, that kind of style. And again, like I'm selling. <laughs> so you see, when I preach this, I am guilty 110%, right? Because it's a mindset that has come. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through that, that mindset. So worship that fits personal preference and musical taste, children's ministry, youth ministry, ladies ministry. So today for all of you, for especially the old, when I say the old ones means, I mean, not really old ones, but, but the more mature ones. The more mature ones, that's better, that's better. You see, I'm learning, that's better. The more mature ones, we sang the song, I worship you, almighty God. Though we didn't have the words, we still, you still knew it. Right? So I just threw that in there. <laughs> right? Just to worship that fits personal preference and musical taste. Praise God. No. It's because the Spirit of the Lord moves. And He prompts us to do that. Right? So we, we, we become this market-driven culture. Right? It's this whole angel of consumerism. You know, we, as I mentioned last week, you know, we look at branding, we look at all of that. Again, not that, you know, I want to clarify this and say not that that is wrong in itself. 
But if that takes the place, and this is the temptation, believe me, for any church, any pastor, any leadership, any believer. It's the sense of trying to, trying to commodify the gospel, trying to make it more appealing than what it is. But also on the flip side, the gospel is not about you boasting. Boasting in God's power. Uh, you see someone in the, in, in, in the mall or something like that with crutches, you go, silver and gold, have I none? Remove your crutches now. In Jesus' name, walk. That is not it either. It is not for you to go and boast about the power of God. But it is to go to that person and say, can I share something with you? Would you mind if I pray with you? Can I please get the person's permission? Now, I don't think anyone here goes and tells what I just said. You know? But I've heard of things like that. You know, I, I, I see evangelists and I, and, I, and I see them demonstrating, you know, the sense of... Uh, sense of display. Sense of show. And maybe in their hearts they're not wanting to do that, but we all get caught up. We all get caught up with excitement without realizing that the show removes the glory from God. And I think that is what the church of Pergamum and what we will definitely do next, the next time, not today, is the accommodating church. The accommodating church is about the spirit of discernment. We need in this day and age a strong dose of discernment. Because we don't seem to know what is right and wrong. And we overcompensate for the truth. Or we flip to the other side and become so permissive with it. So if I could say, next, the next time's conclusion is find the balance between the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna. That's the right place. So meaning a church that is so preoccupied with boundaries and the truth and the church that is so preoccupied with consumerism. Find the place. Be the church that knows how to discern what the Spirit of God is doing. Amen? Amen. So, I've got some information based on that now and I hope you are now settled to hear this because this part, I, I will say, is a little bit dry. Because it's, it's, it's about information from a sociologist by the name of Robert Bella. He's an American sociologist, my friend, from your neck of the woods. And he published a study, Habits of the Heart, that touched on individualism and commitment in American life. Right? So the question of his study was this, that in a culture that is founded in and profoundly shaped by ideals of individualism, why do Americans make commitments and how are those commitments sustained? 
So why do Australians, why do we make commitments and how do commitments sustain? So when you hear the word American, it's more Western. We, we would be fairly similar, right? It led to America, that Americans have four ways of thinking. And, or rather, how they would articulate their thoughts. So four ways of thinking or how they would articulate their thoughts. And it is grouped into two, two subgroups, right? Two groups, two main groups. And each main group has two subgroups. So the first group is individualism. And, and, and under individualism, uh, we can... I, I don't have that on the slide, so you can... Yep. Uh, and within individualism, it, there is what is called u, u, utilitarian. Utilitarian and expressive. And the second group, which is commitment. So the way Americans think is... From an individualist standpoint, there is utilitarian and there is expressive individualism. There is utilitarian individualism. Then comes the second group is commitment. And under commitment is citizenship and covenant. So the four aspects are this, the way they think, the mindset. So put yourself in that utilitarian, expressive, citizenship, covenant. So group one asks this question. What is it in? What, what is in it for me? Right? Individualism. What is in it for me? That is, if I make this commitment, what will I receive in return that will benefit my life? Remember last week I talked about cost-benefit ratio. Right? What's the cost? What's the benefit? What's the ratio like? So in, this, in, in the sense of mindset... Robert Bella says this, that, and, and if you follow me through this, a little bit of a boring part, you will understand the context of why we make decisions the way we make. Why consumerism is at its forefront for us. Why we don't realize why we do what we do. It's as if we are like, Conditioned. Why Paul then says in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. J.B. Phillips' version puts it this way, don't let the things of this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. So, the utilitarian mindset is this. The benefits of my commitment must outweigh the cost. That's what it is. So as an individual, the benefits of my commitment. So if I commit to Jesus, my commitment must outweigh the cost. Tribulation, suffering, no way. I'm not going to commit. That's the utilitarian mindset. Right? The expressive individual puts it this way, ask the question in this manner, if I make a commitment, how will I feel? So when you go and buy a car, they make you feel, open the car and the smell. When we were selling our house, you know what they told us? Brew coffee. <laughs> Bake a, some bread, because when they walk in, oh, I feel so nice, I want this house. You know, I should have smoked my meat. I may have got a better price. <laughs> yeah. 
So all of you who are selling houses, let me give you a tip. Smoke your meats. Might be nicer. So if I make a commitment, how will I feel? Will I feel better if I place myself in this relationship? So if I place myself in this relationship with Jesus, will I actually really feel better? Will he actually really heal me? If I come to church, what is it for me today? Will I feel better if I come to church today? So the way we think of why we do what we do falls into these categories without you and I even really knowing and realizing that. So according to Bella, within the Western mindset, individualism of either form is the first language in which we tend to think about our lives. That is, it is all about what will benefit me. The danger of a culture that is immersed almost exclusively in vocabularies of individualism is that individualism has been, sus- that has been sustainable only because, and hear this, only because it has been supported and checked by other more generous moral understandings. So in order to maintain this, we add other aspects. So we keep adding. We keep adding. So to sustain commitment, the church then adds this. Oh, why don't we try this now? Why don't we try that now? We cannot just say, let's rely on the, poor, on the pure power of God. Amen. Let's rely on the fact that you love Jesus and you are responsible for your relationship, not me. You don't live your relationship vicariously by wondering what is so-and-so going to do for me. But you and I are led to the Lord through the Holy Spirit that says, I will lead you into all truth. And then you bring that and you say now, let me now be mutually accountable. Uh, No, what's that? uh, That... uh, So I, submissive, mutually submissive. That we mutually submit to one another. You're not an island to yourself. We need one another, right? Jesus made that very clear. The Trinity made that very clear. Didn't just create Adam, brought Eve. But you might turn around and say, but she was a problem then. (laughs) If she was a problem, why didn't you stop it? Right? So there's just just no way in that argument. So, in other words, a culture that is established on the rights of the individual is helpful as long as that culture is tempered by other coexisting worldviews that provide consistency for that way of living. So every other world... If you realize all of the things that have been recently brought to public, brought to light in order for this to happen, in order for safe schools, that happens, in order for that to thrive, this needs to happen. Everything is coexisting. So you're finding worldviews now that are coming up to begin to support this one lie. You see that? This is such a... I've read this so many times <laughs> that it's just blown, up, blown my mind. To begin to realize that, my goodness me, what an amazing study that's out there. That sometimes in church, we don't seem to realize 
what is everything couched in? What we have been unconsciously being molded into. We are so concerned that the, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. It ain't the mark of the beast. We said that. We sent you an email. Right? But believe me, everything that is happening now is biblical prophecy that is leading towards all of that. It is all leading towards this one world government. It is all leading towards all of that. And this ain't no conspiracy. Read your word. Bible prophecy is, 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 is happening way before our eyes. So the profound impact of this study is that they found that most people would remain in their primary commitments, and this is the sad part, would remain in their primary commitments even if the individualistic reasons for being in commitment were gone. So I'm just going to go to church. I'll just go. I don't know the reason why I'm going, but I'll just go. So it becomes a religious activity. It becomes religion and not relationship. So an example here is this. They found that American, that the American husband who loves his wife because of what she does and the American wife who loves her husband for how he makes her feel would stay with the spouse even if they can no longer provide those utilitarian or expressive benefits. They found that most Americans have lost the vocabulary of why they would stay with a commitment in which the individualistic value is gone. So they have the habits of the heart for sustaining a commitment, but they have lost or rapidly losing the vocabularies that make those commitments logical. So if someone asks you, why do you follow Jesus? Uh, You don't know how to answer that. Because the reasons for all of that don't seem to be real anymore. Because the supporting worldviews are ebbing away at that. And so it's taking you away from that initial back to your first love. Do you see now how, how all of this, I hope, is starting to make sense? The study found that the exception was the segments of the population that spoke the language of citizenship or covenant. And Robert Bella, or Bella found that that was evident in church or the synagogue. The language of covenant. But let me take you further. Covenant. Now, citizenship places upon the citizen a responsibility for the welfare of their fellows and for the common good. Right? That's the definition of citizenship. Covenant. How he defines it is this. A tradition that teaches concern for the basic or intrinsic value 
of individuals because of their relationship to the greater or to the, to the supreme being. It emphasizes the obligation to respect and acknowledge the dignity of all. So the study concludes that habits of the heart are not enough to sustain commitment necessary for community. The habits of the heart alone. It's not good enough. Healthy societies must also maintain a vocabulary that gives its citizens a logic for remaining committed beyond the pursuits of individualism. So how do you get the logic? How do you, in other words, how do you get derive the truth? How do you come to a place of consistently believing and believing and believing? That's this intimacy. That is this relationship. That is to rediscover our intimacy in Christ. Right? So within this culture, consumerism is rife. It blooms. The casual observer of the religious culture in America also notices that when the culture needs that, that just when the culture needs the church to be speaking its language of covenant, This is where the interesting twist happens. It too is abandoning this vocabulary and replacing it with those of utilitarian and expressive individualism. Making it easy. Jesus is being routinely offered as the antidote to your failing business, to your failing finances, to your failing relationships. Oh, Jesus, he can fix it for you. He can fix it for you. He can fix it for you. So the truth of the matter is, he is really all that. Amen? He's definitely all that. He has the power of transformation. He is a miraculous working God. But what is preached and said can often be heard through the lens of utilitarian, individualistic hearts. Now, he is a Messiah that will simply just give and solve our problems. That's what's been dished out consistently. And that's what you and I hear. So this is the issue of the consumer church. Whether whether we recognize it or not, all preachers face the temptation to shape the gospel, which calls disciples to leave everything behind and take up the cross daily and follow Jesus, committing themselves as, as a needed part in the body of Christ into a commodity that will be attractive to a culture conversant in the vocabularies of individualism. So instead of calling people to count the cost of discipleship, we create specialized ministries and build churches. And this is, pertains to us like malls, coffee shops, pizza places. Reaching people where they are is necessary. But too often we reinforce individualism by making the church solely a place where individuals are fed, but where not much is expected from anyone. So it's not wrong for us to have what we have. And if you ask those who manage our childcare, those who run our businesses, who have responsibility over that, 
If you ask them this one thing, I always say, be careful that we don't turn this into a business. This is more than a business. We need to be sustainable. We need to be good stewards. The Bible makes that very clear. But we need to make sure that these are used as tools to engage the community. Right? These are used as, as, as tools. Hallelujah. So, I want to end with that. That in that whole context of consumerism, do you see where you and I are? That we are fighting a world that is consistently trying to conform us into this mold. Right? Now, Psalm 34, 8 says this, Oh, taste and see. In fact, the message says this, Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see that the Lord is good. If I can have the team to come up, that will be great. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Taste. So begin to sense that. And in order to help you taste, we try to come up with, you know, a menu that is appealing. That, again, is a responsibility that we have. I, I, we as, as preachers and as leaders are not to shirk our responsibility in terms of feeding, right? But we also need to realize that we have a grave responsibility to begin to commit our lives in such a way that we are in this family, in this fellowship, within this church, doing what God has called us to do. That we are 110% committed. But we're not just committed to this church, we're committed to, the, to be part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. Right? That is much bigger than this. We are only this tiny drop. But together with everyone else, we can be so amazing. On Easter Saturday, we've got a church of only six people organizing what they call Resurrect. So the pastor brought it to all of us as, pa- as uh, pastors in the city of Casey and he said, you know, we need, we need your music team. Would you like to come and do a 45-minute set? We need people to volunteer at the gates. We need people to pray. We need people to give prophetic words. We want to do this out in the park. And so I asked him, I said, how much is it going to cost? You know why? Because I want us as a church to sow into it. So I, I want to know what the commitment is. But not because I want to shirk it, shirk my responsibility, but because I want to know how can we come alongside? How, how can we commit to, commit to what you're doing? So I sent him a text. I said, we're going to contribute this amount. Then I asked, I said, what kind of sound system do you have? And why did I ask that? It's because we are a church that loves music. We know what we're talking about. And we don't want the message to be lost in what we're doing. 
Sometimes we can prepare things so well and then at the end of the day, the sound is so terrible and so horrible that it, nothing can be heard. So all of that is important, friends. But that's not the be-all and end-all. Amen? That is not the be-all and end-all. And, so, and, and, this, and this is it. You know that we have this amazing opportunity. And I want to put this before you. That as a church, we can go and help this church. Together with several other churches on an Easter Saturday in Cranbourne. Begin to see how the, the, the kingdom of God can permeate the atmosphere of Casey. That the kingdom of heaven will come down to earth. And it is through you and I. Through you and I. Even if you just have half an hour or an hour. Actually, I won't say half an hour. An hour. But you see, I was so tempted to immediately make it a, you know, just matter half an hour. No, at least you must give an hour. At least you must give an hour. I think this is the language we need to speak this year to each and every one. But I really hope next week we won't have five people here. Because you feel that, man, this is asking too much. I already give one and a half hours of the year. Sometimes it goes on for two hours. It'll go. So here's an, in, so it's an invitation. I was sharing this yesterday. I said, you know, we, we're feasting this, this weekend. I was saying, we're feasting this weekend as a family from all around the world, from all around the globe, from Africa, from England, from Belgium, from Germany, and, and from Australia, and all of that. We're feasting, and it was like, you know, different chefs coming in and bringing their best dish into a cuisine, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I said, as family... As I began to think of family, I, I was wondering, hey, what's my surname in this family? Said, oh, my surname is I am. So, hi everyone, I'm Larry, son of I am. So, Malcolm, son of I am. Susani, daughter of I am. Yvonne, daughter of I am. Giselle, daughter of I am. Praise God. Hallelujah. Terry, son of I am. How. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you are the son of I am, like Moses, he will act on your behalf as Moses. And Moses said, I, I can't even speak. Did that stop him from being the deliverer, from seeing the Red Sea parts? Imagine what the I am stands for in your life. Imagine the power that is unleashed through the I am in your life. You know? That's who you and I are married to. That's our family. That's our family name. Our family inheritance. Friends, this is a Kairos moment for us. It is a critical moment in time where hist when history is changed. History is changed. This is the language of the heart, intimacy. James 4 verse 8 says this, and I'll end with this. Due to time, I won't call my wife, but I'll share what she said. James 4 8, and when she preaches, she can add on that next week. Hallelujah. Draw close to God, and I will draw close to you. 
Now that's the antidote to commodify or to 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 consumerism. That's the antidote. Us drawing near. Now again, us drawing near doesn't mean God is. I'm hiding. Then you come close, and you see He's not hiding behind a tree. He's not hiding behind the bushes. He's not this. He's not that. Right? It was in plain sight. Moses saw up on the mountain. There was something glowing, and he went up there. So as we as we come before Him, you know, as He as we draw near, we begin to realize that the this mist, the fog, all begins to it begins to move, gets blown away, and you see Him. You see Him as you. And I need to. So if we don't draw near to Him, we are virtually not going to find Him. You're going to have this expressive individual feels a sudden feel. So that's why when you come, you want to feel something. And no, God wants way more than that. So he takes us in this vision he gives Ezekiel in chapter 47. Come from that place of being ankle into a place where you swim. Hallelujah. Where you and I swim, meaning we are fully, fully immersed. You know, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 that they may observe all the words of this law so the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and Solomon says this that the glory of kings is to search out a matter right so hear this this is why it is important to come into that secret place for intimacy because there are things he wants to reveal. And you take that and you pass it on to your children. And they then begin to experience this. And they need to come to a place where they then for themselves will begin to take that and pass it on. Because that's the way things are passed on. Not the sense of saying that, hey, it's, you know, don't, don't worry about it. Just come to church, that's good enough. I think we, we need to change the way we communicate. We need to change our language, our vocabulary. But at the same time, it is not, we don't take a whip to whip people into, we don't, we don't shove the gospel down their throat. That is why he says, gives us this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of the day, that's it, friends. Actually, I should say brothers and sisters. That's it.